0: Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Good day, Clayton here from XY Advisor, joined today by Ben Martin, head of policy at the FBA. Thanks for joining me, mate.
1: Thanks, Clayton. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so a lot going on in the industry and um, you guys decided to punch out a document which basically, to me, 90% of it is such no-brainer and it's the stuff that advisors have been talking about for a long time that, first and foremost, i got to say, it's awesome to see the leading body in this country tackling uh, topics which will ultimately lead to advice being better. So have you found for the first time, you know, I don't know how long, but you guys come out with something. Everyone's like, "Yay!" Like round of applause. Does it feel good?
1: It it is refreshing to be able to go on the um, on things like X, Y, and and other forums, um, and even our own community that we've got running, and and be given positive feedback on something <laughs> we've done. And what, I mean, it's great, and it's frustrating as well because I think it, it's not it's nothing that there is nothing in the in the new policy platform that we haven't been saying before, or hasn't been part of the work we've been doing. We've just put it into a nice, nice new document. Um, and but it, it's nice that I, I think one of the valid criticisms of the FPA um, and and the hand on heart, I will I will own up to this is we are, we are generally not great at communicating what we're doing what we're asking for, what we're advocating for the successes we've had, because unfortunately in my role, particularly over the last five years, it has been so busy with regulatory reform. Um, when you've got seven regulators, when you've got government, um, when you've got the the length and breadth of financial services and how complex it is, we're just sprinting nonstop to respond to regulators and, and government and pieces of legislation that we, we often don't have time to stop and say, guys, this is what we're doing. So um, yeah. So the the feedback has been really pleasing and, and I think a positive step for us that we've been able to put it all into one document and, and say, so, you know what, this is what we're, this is what we're going to work on for the next five years. And, and this is our vision for what the future of advice is. And I think, the reaction from individuals, um, to, to your point, has been has been really refreshing and really really well accepted. And everybody goes, "Yeah, that is what the that is what my job as a financial planner should look like." And these are the things that will make what I do as a professional better for my clients. And it'll make it easier for my clients to get advice. It'll make it cheaper to get advice. Um, and these are all positives. Um, the reaction we've had from from Licensees has not been unexpected, Um, but on the other hand, it's again, it's also a little bit surprising because we have been having these conversations with them for 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 five, ten, longer years um, about about what the future of of the profession needs to look like. So um, as it's not unsurprising, but it's it's um, some of the ferocity of it has been a little bit um, has taken us back a little bit.
0: Yeah, look from where I'm looking it's hard for someone like yourself at the fpa i would imagine when so much change is just getting beaten over the industry's head and you guys are sort of in a position where i mean no big institution has zero conflicts right so you've got to consider revenues coming in from one way um You know, purpose for existing is coming from another, and you've got to kind of manage that. And it's and the FPA is no different. And so much change and challenge has come to this industry for so long. And you guys are seen as like this front line of defense in a way, right? Which is, I mean, the mandate's huge. (laughs) And uh and and the government has had to an unhealthy, I would say, governments, there's no one government, but I would say the governments in you know last few governments have had an unhealthy obsession with financial advice now some of that has been rightfully so i mean not there's not a single person alive that would ever defend say storm financial or or of advisors that are blatantly doing the wrong thing there's just there's no one we're we're as excited to see them smashed as much as possible but then it's kind of it's gotten to this stage and i was talking about with phil and when he was on not long ago that it looks like they're at a stage where they're just trying to legislate out humanity and legislate out the potential from the states. And that, to me, is really disheartening. And it's disheartening for advisors, of course. And then it's got to be tough for you guys. And so, and you know, one of the things you mentioned before was it's hard to communicate the good things that are going on or the work that you're doing because, well, you know, there's a bomb that's just gone off two metres to my left, and now i got to jump on that and see what's up. So, there's, I, I mean, I, I definitely have a certain set of uh, sympathy for, for the role and for everything that goes on. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, like you guys cop it, I think, harder than what should be. Like that's my personal opinion, um, but I, I'm, I'm sort of a half glass full kind of guy. And so with this, with this document that's turned up, Um, it's really good. It's really good to see what it is that you're discussing. And I've got four points in particular that I'd love to go through in a bit more detail. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of the first ones that you sort of put up, I think it's smart because if you consider the FPA in other countries, let's say South Africa, for example, there's no licenses there, right? There's no dealer groups. And so advisors have a much clearer connection to the FPA, to the CFP, yeah. Because that is their—that's how that they prove that they're a good advisor, right? Yeah. But in this country, it's a bit different. So you've kind of got you guys are like over here, and then the real relationship is the licensee, um, and that's and that's been a weird result of commission payments and all that stuff, which advice is rapidly moving away from. And so, um, so yeah, there's some really cool stuff. Uh, I think. In this document, which I'd I'd love to go over, but if if we can just touch on that first bit in the document, um, it's I think it's smart for the FPA because it, it, if if you guys are the, the the body, I think if you guys are the ones putting forward the the guidelines and doing the judging and all of it, in a lot of ways, will that take the strain off ASIC? Is your goal to was the FPA goal to move all of the work that ASIC is doing onto the FPA or do you expect to work uh, with them or how does, if you guys end up becoming, you know, the body that handles everything, is that you saying to the government, we've got it from here or do they have to continue doing work?
1: So I I think, um, so just to take a, take a step back um, the the, the document itself has, has three main parts and, and those parts are made up of, of policy pillars, which is which sort of our framework for how we describe everything. Um, there's, there's values of advice, which I think like a... It's actually quite a cool infographic it is. page, which, which sets out what is the value of advice to, to consumers and to government, and to regulators. Um, and then there's 19 recommendations. So I think you're asking about the single disciplinary body um, ID yeah. within there. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, and that's that's really what Code Monitoring Australia had been designed to do. What you were what you were describing to be that that disciplinary body for financial planners and and to take the work of monitoring um, and holding individual financial planners accountable to their advice. That's what that's what that um, Code Monitoring Body, Code Monitoring Australia. Um, as one of the organisations doing that, um, was designed to do in the Corporations Act. Unfortunately, in November last year, the government announced that they wanted to go in a different direction. Um, and so that direction is going to be that they will actually set up a new regulator, right. of individual financial planners, um, Whose, whose responsibility will be to be a disciplinary body. Right. Um, so basically they're taking what was going to be this organisation that the FPA and four other associations were going to set up and, and build it themselves. Um, the problem with that in our perspective is we already have seven regulators. And so if you're going to add an eighth, um, it's just like the whole thing is just getting out of control and messy. Yeah. And, and yeah. the number of planners that complain about the cost of advice and the number of regulators and you almost, and, and, and you know, I hate saying this, but you have to say it. Um, and the minister's kind of cottoned onto it recently and said it a couple of times, but you kind of can't provide compliant advice because if you, if you meet the privacy requirements of the privacy, um, privacy act that's regulated by the, office of the australian information commissioner then you're going to breach the ones from the tpb which which are different to the ones with asic which means you're going to breach those if you comply with the tpb's regulation you will often breach asics if you breach, if you comply with asics you might breach the tracks and it kind of just doesn't work and you know this is the beauty to a certain extent and I know I'm going to get shot for this but of the fiduciary code of ethics is that it just kind of takes everything up to a to, to a different level and says principally comply with the law mm. and put your clients first mm. and don't accept conflicts and and like it kind of simplifies everything but in a in a in a much higher level um so our argument with with a single disciplinary body is you've got all these other regulators and they do lots of other stuff, but let's have a body that, that sits in the middle of it all um, is the interface with individual financial planners and says, this is the set of rules that you need to comply with. And if you comply with this set of rules then you are doing the right thing and you won't get in trouble, everything else is just noise and, and other stuff that needs that, that might need to go on, but actually probably isn't relevant to what, you do on a day-to-day basis as a financial planner with, with your client. And so if we're doing that, then how can we get rid of the other seven? Um, how can we make, how can we, how can we merge in for How can we merge in registrations and, and everything kind of sits around this idea of having a single, single regulator that regulates professional financial advice which is not dissimilar to what happens with lawyers in that they've got a single regulator effectively in the courts, which is not dissimilar to what you have with doctors, which where they have a single disciplinary and registration model with the, the medical practitioners board. Yeah. Um, this is how professions operate. Professions totally. don't operate with seven regulators, eight once you add, add this one in as well. And so the whole, the whole um, regulation of financial advice where, where you have you you know who is going to look at your files and who is going to make decisions about whether or not you comply or not. Um, who sets the education standards? Who sets the compliance standards? Who sets the code of ethics? Who sets the ongoing education? The, the CPD standards. Who engages with other regulators? Say, okay, this is tax law. This is corporations law. This is privacy law. This is anti-money laundering counterterrorism law how do they operate effectively at a financial planner having and having a meeting, having an appointment, having a relationship with an individual consumer. How does that all hang together? Having this one body there that will, will just make it all clear and easy to understand. Yeah. Now, as I said, we would love for that to be the FPA.
0: Yeah. As Um, long as it's someone I I would like, it needs to be, it needs to be someone because the fact that, Advice is at the whims of yeah. all of the just everything else that has a say. And there's nothing that's interpreting everything through just a, yeah. a singular is ridiculous. Yeah. And so, and so I hope, I hope it's it, but for all of the critiques that have ever come to the FBA's way, whatever. Like if it ultimately ends up with there's one place that we can get to, so yeah. we know how to operate, right? I mean, you you do hear it from advisors what on earth can you like literally this is what advisors are going off now i I'm, I'm doing things because i know that they're good but i have absolutely no way of telling that if someone was to come back through my files over the last decade with a fine tooth comb that they won't find something that's gone wrong somewhere right
1: mm-hmm. I mean, and and like and like like the casing point recently has been this early access to superannuation due to COVID, right? And we've got the, we've got um, the Corporations Act, which says you need to follow these rules to provide advice. We've got ASIC, which has got rules around disclosure and it's got rules around um, information collecting and it's got rules around um, scaled advice and, and holistic advice. You've got the procedure code of ethics that that sits there and says you need to consider not only what's going on today, but the client's long-term financial situation. And and so ASIC comes out and says you can provide an ROA and you can provide um, advice to the consumer on accessing this. And and if you do it in this way, you can charge $300 for it. And everybody goes, nah, can't do it, can't comply with it. Okay, all right but why like <laughs> the regulator is actually sitting there telling you you can do this you can yeah. provide this advice and but 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 forcia well no Fasea says you need to consider the clients whether or not the client the advice is is appropriate and in the best interest of the client is it appropriate in the best interest of the client for somebody who's lost their job can't put food on the table can't pay their mortgage to to not access money when they need it well, it is appropriate. Okay, but what about the long term interest? Well, if they can't eat and they don't have a house to live in, they don't really have long term interests. ASIC says you can provide an ROA. You don't need to do a full SOA for this, but it's a new piece of advice. No, I know that, but ASIC says you don't need to do an SOA in this circumstance. Okay. But how much, but I have to do a full fact find. Well, no, you don't need to do a full fact find. ASIC is saying that you can, you can scale it in this way. We worked with ASIC on the ROA. We created a fact find attached to that ROA to, to, to help, help quantify exactly what information you need. You don't need a lot of information. You can do it. You can do it quick and you can do it really easy. Um, so like, this is the problem and, and we need, we almost need one. We absolutely need one body that sits there and goes, okay, these regulators have said all these things, but this is how it works for you in, in front of this client. And Definitely. And we, this is what we're going to hold you accountable to. It,
0: it it goes without saying, and it's so necessary. And, um, and just to give advisors like a sense of uh, confidence, because confidence is insanely low and and it doesn't, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you any bit like advisors, they're just in shell shock from so much change that someone comes along and says, you can definitely do this. The advisor's thinking, "Mm, sure. What about in six years from now, Something goes wrong. I get pulled up, and and I've risked everything for three hundred dollars less. My yeah. time and less resources. I'm, yeah. I'm essentially taking on all this risk for fifty dollars.
1: No, absolutely. $50. And and um, you know, the reality is, you, you've got the you've got the law that sits here, and then you've got the regulator that regulates yeah. here, and then you've got the licensee that provides yeah. the, the sort of rules around there. And and unfortunately, because the relationship and the authorization to provide advice and the person who monitors and supervise you is the licensee. Yeah. The number of calls we get from, from members that say my licensee says I have to do this. I go, well, okay. They authorize you, they monitor and supervise you. You have to comply with, with their rules. Yeah. Um, it's not what the law says, but licensees put this risk, this risk measure over the top of it and they go, well, we've seen other planners within my license, within our licensee do these things wrong. And so we're going to put this protective barrier around everybody who's licensed, licensed under us. So you've got a lot of chefs, actually you've got a lot of cooks um, who are, who are, who are trying to explain and, and, and create rules and regulations around this conversation that we're having no absolutely and then on the client and 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 like the point you were making earlier about the government coming in and making you know seven regulators and so many rules and so many things and, and i have you know i've spent five years just waking up with five different um submissions that are due the next day is is because it is almost impossible to comply with with being a financial planner these days. And therefore every time we do something and every time somebody looks at something, something's wrong. And if something's wrong, it will come up in an inquiry it will come up in a court or it'll come up with a regulator it'll come up with somebody and they'll, they'll be able to ping you because you kind of can't comply with the way things are at the moment. And so we have been an easy victory for the government it is really easy to say, here's a here's evidence of a financial planner who is doing something wrong and therefore we're going to create a law to stop that. Yeah. And so we just get another law and we get another law. The 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 one thing that I love about working for the FPA is the regulators and the government, they come and talk to us and they say, we're thinking of doing this, how will it work? And we won't change their mind. We will not, they will not do, not do foreseeing and they won't add, um, all sorts of changes to the law right but they will talk to us and we will we are able to demonstrate with them why a certain way of doing it is going to make things more expensive and take longer and just isn't going to work in practice when there is this practical way that you can actually do it and more often than not they will implement the more practical way of of doing it and you know for that's that's something that at least I can wake up every morning and go, I can speak to a regulator. I can speak to a politician. I can, I can speak to speak to licensees and I can say, this is a better way of doing it. And, and generally it will get done. Now, hopefully we get to a point where this single disciplinary body is, is the one who's in the middle and, and doing all these things. Unfortunately it won't be FPA because the government decided to, to set up a regulator on its own. But hopefully if we can you know, use this policy platform as our framework, we can demonstrate to them having one body instead of seven is going to make a lot more sense. Having one body instead of seven is going to make it cheaper and more effective to provide advice. Having yeah. one body instead of seven means that consumers know where to go if they need help. Planners know where they need to go to get help. Licensees know where they need to go to get help. And it's it's the focal point of, of what we do. And it, it's going to make everything cheaper. It's going to make everything clearer. It's going to make everything better for everybody. Um, And, and so that's, that's kind of the vision that sits, sits around all this.
0: Well, they run a huge, huge, huge risk. And I'll repeat the word huge. The amount of questions I've had around how do I do advice or, or as close to advice as possible without having to be an advisor like, I mean, that's, that's, that question is coming up so much. Now, what is, uh, what's that tell me? That tells me that there's a bunch of people who love this job, who love healthy people, who want to have an impact, but they are so unsure about this industry that they have to figure out a parallel uh, way of achieving it completely outside of the rules. So so it's literally if the government, or if there's not something done to clean all this up, you're going to have a parallel profession, actually a parallel profession, which does almost exactly the same thing, but there's just no product recommendation at the back. Imagine that. Imagine that uh, <clears throat> someone
1: came to see I you, have to Imagine it. It's, it's happening.
0: It's, it's already it's happening. happening. and, it, and, and It's going to no can... keep happening. And, and I, I, I don't defend unlicensed advice as this, as this, you know, panacea of all the problems that are out there. However, um, it's a it's a natural market reaction if the government wants to legislate out humanity out of people they're going to end up with a far bigger problem which is growing every day and so getting one place where there is a simple answer he, he, here's another thing so, so at, on the weekend speaking with advisor great advisor multiple like just really really good advisor and uh, and they're they're talking to me about how scared they are of at any point in the future of someone just going back through their, their historical files, right. Over the last decade. And it's such a genuine concern. And I don't think, I don't think enough thought has been put into that because this really good advisor who I guarantee you from an, like you just do not want this advisor to leave the industry. It's very, very good advisor um but the fact that this advisor is considering is uh is such a bad sign it's such a bad sign for this industry
1: but again this is why the fpa was so committed to setting up a code monitoring body and doing this because we are financial planners i've i've been a financial planner i'm a practitioner i've i've sat in front of clients the same way all all the listeners have um and we understand advice and we understand that relationship between individuals. And and so that's why we wanted to be a code monitoring body. And like we're hopeful and and what we're pushing for is that the regulator, the, the single disciplinary body, when they get set up is set up by practitioners for practitioners with practitioners on tribunals. And it's practitioners that are holding other practitioners responsible when things come in, because, when there is something that a licensee says you need to do, which is above the law and above the regulation, and but it, it creates a conflict there with with what you might be required to do, you the, the person adjudicating it has to understand that relationship and that that authorization and, and the way that works. The person who's adjudicating the case has to understand that sometimes clients come in and they say, yes, 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 until the point you get to, implementing it and then say, no, I want something different. Or they come in and they say, I want to do this really dumb thing. Yeah. And what you do, you can't talk them out of it. And you make the philosophical judgment and the professional judgment, then maybe it's better if I watch over this thing happening and, and give them, 100%. Give them a little bit of, of my time and attention to make sure at least they do it the right way. Yep, not what I would recommend, but at least it's done the right way. And yeah, and so that's why we we you know that's why you want practitioners involved in these things. Um, and and you want that level of understanding of what's that relationship between the planner and the client, and what's all this other stuff that we got to we got to have in the back of our minds and and deal with to deal with it. Um, but I think I, I mean I think on the whole you're right. There's a massive problem that you know I had a phone call on Friday where. Um, one of our members was saying that my licensee's just rung up and asked me to provide files from early 2008 for review.
0: Killer. How do you, how do you even sleep at night? Because from what I'm told, the, the advisors aren't even getting judged on the rules and regulations of at the time. They're getting judged yeah. based on what's now.
1: That's and the problem it. is, and, but the, what's worse is that they've for years and years and years they've been audited, they've been through pre-vets, they've been through post-vets, and they're told your file's fine. 100%. Everything you're doing is fine. It's good. It complies. Yep. And then suddenly these new programs come in and these new reviews come in and then suddenly you get told, well, no, actually what you were doing 12 years ago, I don't even remember the client from 12 years ago. I don't remember the file. I don't remember the client. I've got absolutely, but there's a, there's a box that's not ticked or there's, there's a piece of information then in an ideal world you would have collected but you know in the reality of that relationship with that client you've missed it um, and, and maybe it's not applicable because often it's not applicable but you know we just didn't cross things out file notes weren't even all years are... ago file notes weren't even a thing that long not r- I mean they were but I mean a like, little bit maybe, but they were not really they, yeah, right.
0: they were like man- mandatory
1: now I'm being reported to ASIC for something i did 12 years ago Uh, this okay this is interesting because because i've got a financial planner right and i think he i think he listens to this so he'll get a kick out of this but he's licensed through one of the one of the um secondary dealer groups of a large large group sure um they've been told by ASIC to do reviews on everybody they they've been told to go back my file's a bit odd right (laughs) is that because you're a bit odd well, no, I'm not a bit old, but, but you know what? So you do a risk profile on me and I come out as conservative. Sure. And to me, being conservative at the age of 30, like I was when when we set up this piece of advice with my superannuation, which I'm not going to touch for yeah. 40 years. It's not the best thing to do. Is to go into something that is really, really aggressive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got a 40-year time horizon. The only conservative strategy for that is to go really aggressive. So something geared. yeah. Get some gearing in there. That's what yeah. I told him. Get some gearing in there. He goes, but "You're conservative." I said, "I know I'm conservative, this is the conservative investment strategy." Wow. Anyway, so seven, eight, ten years has gone past since we did that piece of advice. They've picked up that file, looked at it, and they've come to me and said, um, "Do you know that your plan has put you into this really, really aggressive investment option when your risk profile is conservative?" I so, said, yeah, I know my risk profile is conservative. All my cash is sitting in my offset account because so I want to pay off my mortgage as quickly as possible. You know where I want my super? I want it really, really aggressive. I go, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. I go, well, actually, I mean, I did the, you know, do you know what I do? Type thing. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you're in compliance. I say, well, yeah, okay, all right, let's let's just stick with that. Um, but they offered me forty thousand dollars. In compensation wow. for the advice fees that had been that I'd I'd paid over the years for for all the advice and 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 pain and suffering for the fact that he had given me the investment that I wanted. Oh man. And he'd given me the risk profile I I wanted and the investment I wanted. And despite the fact that I had signed it off all the way through, I knew what I was doing, they knew what kind of role I was in they're offering me $40,000 in compensation, which would have come out of his pocket because that's how these things work. Right. Yeah. And this is the problem with the way the system works at the moment. It's worse than a problem. Has, that That he's is done everything right. That's everything ability. right. And because he's got me as a client who knows what they want and knows how it works and understands it and therefore doesn't fit in the, in the little Puzzle piece or square mm. or circle or whatever shape you want to stick me in, mm. um, suddenly he's $40,000 out of pocket. Yeah. That's, 10 years later. It's actually, it's it, it makes being an
0: advisor impossible. Yeah. It does. It makes being an no, advisor impossible. So something's it, got to get done. What's
1: worse is if they'd run my wife, she would have taken the money.
0: <laughs> she doesn't get it. <laughs> no, well, 100%. It, it's like, uh, it, of course, since people. If there's huge companies that are turning up and saying, "Hey, can we pay you all this money?" Ninety-nine percent of people are going to take it, and it's yeah. it's absurd. And uh, look, if getting you guys in as the center of a bunch of different regulators is the answer to all of this, I'm going to back it, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we just need a goddamn way to push forward with this with this profession. And at the moment there's the repercussions for anything not perfect are so intense that it's making a lot of advisors, uh, very nervous, but moving on. So 3.2 in the document separation between product and advice. Brilliant. Love it. I know that there's in the legislation, it deals with both of these as hand in hand, that they're the same thing. Um, this needs to 100% uh, get changed. Huge supporter of that. Um, how long have you been working on it? What's, You talk about strategy, you know, I'd love
1: to know more. Um, Well, I mean, this has been, this has been something that the FPA has been, been sort of calling on for for a long, long time. And, and, but again, this is another one where, um, you know, there's this little bit of disconnect between different regulators. So the corporations act, we're all, we're all sort of regulated um, about the financial products that we sell and advice is is a product as defined by the Corporations Act, but but it is treated a little bit differently. Um, but it's all about the products that we is effectively the regulation. So if you don't recommend a product and you don't recommend a class of product, then you don't fall into financial advice, and therefore things are different. But on the other hand, with the TPB TPB, um, you're actually regulated for the services you are providing as a financial planner or a tax financial advisor, as, as they define it, not not product. So with that, again, you've got this situation where if you're doing the service, then you're in the TPB world, but it's not until you actually recommend a class of product or a specific product that you actually fall into the Corporations Act Act world. So again, you can be, you can almost get yourself in trouble for not recommending products and classes of products with ASIC, but you comply with what you need to do with the TPB. But Ironically, you go a bit further and suddenly you've got a problem with the TPB because you've done something wrong because nobody knows the TPB's codes and stuff. Um, anyway, so every conversation, every thread, everybody goes, I just want to provide strategic advice to my clients. I don't really want to be recommending the products. Some We need products to implement the solutions, but I'd also like a nice easy option where I can just talk to my client about superannuation as a class of product and as a strategy and and we can um and and that can be regulated in that way and so that's kind of what we're kind of what we're trying to get to how how can we have a conversation and a a relationship with a client where we help them sort out their financial position but we don't recommend xyz balance fund yeah you just don't need to get to that point that's not the behavior that we need to sort out our client they have default superannuation funds they have cash accounts and savings they have a little share portfolio that's all fine the stuff we need to deal with is how do you budget what if you've got spare money what do you do with it if you don't have enough money how do you how do you cope with that um if you have a little bit of extra stick it into super or don't stick it into super you need to be protected for this and have those conversations at a strategic level. So um, effectively that recommendation is, is how do we separate product and advice? How do we have advice um, in a, in a way that respects that relationship with the client provides them with the strategy that they need um, allows you to have an ongoing relationship and ongoing guidance with them. If they need help with products at certain points, then step in with that or send them to somebody else. Um, and then focus the product regulation on actually making sure products are good and, and work and um, are sold to the right people um, more broadly. Um, when a financial planner gets involved, make sure they've got all the information that they need to actually make the right determination that, that you know, that, that geared share fund that, that Ben Martian actually wants, that's the right one. Um, even though he's a conservative investor and it's okay that he's a conservative investor because he's going to be in there for 40 years. Yeah. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff, that stuff works, works a lot more So more yeah, and works right.
0: So you're because, and you've dipped into 3.3 here with the regulation of products. So um, basically, and it was, it was really cool to see Alex Vickovich do a story on you guys in the AFR. And and he's he's been a long term critic of uh, licenses in general. <clears throat> I remember he was a he was sort of the guy that sort of walked me through why he thought it was uh, why he thought they were bad for the industry. And he's he's had a pretty cool career to date, seeing what what he's done. Um, you read his
1: book, really? Uh yeah, yeah,
0: I've read, I've, yeah, yeah. I had uh, USA today. That's the one. Um, yeah, he's a smart guy, really smart guy. And when he was talking to me about licensees not being not working in the favour for anyone, then I, I remember learning about it. I've got a couple of mates at this stage who do have licences. So I'm going to park the, the, the I would say the revenue and, and asset value argument, which is going to disappear for these guys for a moment and just sort of come at it from, a, from a, an advisor and consumer point of view. And that is, I mean, yeah, uh, getting rid of, Licenses is and having individuals licensed for themselves is exactly where the industry has been headed for the last, especially, especially last sort of five years. It, I know I've got other mates that just do little co ops together and make no money out of the license, but just split the costs or go out and do the working, become self licensed. But it seems ridiculous. It seems this idea that you have to that an individual or small small co-op has to go to this level of work just to be self-licensed as if they are the largest aligned (laughs) dealer group in the country right it's it's absurd so so i I mean i'd love to see uh individuals being licensed i'd love to see it be easy i'd love to see and and the expectation that this can all happen i think is off the back of these increased expectations, right? So there's all these educational expectations. Okay, cool. You wanna you wanna you wanna demand professionalism from this industry, then start treating us like a, a professional as well. Because a lot more work in 2020 is done without any commissions attached than there was in 20 and sorry 1980 than there was in 2000, uh, and it's it's becoming a smaller and smaller via legislation. Uh, revenue model. So even getting paid via a license is kind of for some advisors already redundant. Um, but it is, is becoming the amount of money that needs to go through a license is becoming ridiculous small, right? It has to be product issue. So so as advisors are getting to a stage where they're receiving less and less commission revenue, then it makes sense to uh, be self-licensed. That's That's my point of view. Now, the AFSL doing the work to regulate products, this is where I thought was kind of interesting. So, in a nutshell, are you saying that advisors are all individually licensed? However, if they want some level of oversight over the products that they get, that's getting used, then they can join an AFSL voluntarily, I would imagine that does all the research on the products that are used and then they pay a fee to be a part of that cell. Is that the angle?
1: Not quite, no. Okay. Um, so we think that individual registration of financial planners is a no-brainer. It's, it's going to happen. In fact, the legislation that brought in the Professional Standards and Ethics Framework requires you to be individually registered with a code monitoring body. And, and that will be a, a government regulator. Um, the The issue with the current system is if you do want to change licensees, you have to be deauthorized by one licensee and you have to be authorized by another. And I mean, before, before Facia sort of came in, you um, had, Planners who had been planning for 15, 20 years and they would change licensee, and plan suddenly the licensee is going, Actually, you don't meet the RG 146 education requirements. you got to go off and, and do this course. And like it was, I've been a planner for 20 years. What do you. It's important that an individual has self responsibility for ensuring they meet education requirements and self. Responsibility for making sure they maintain those education requirements through CPD. And, you know, if you want to make sure that somebody is complying with the law, make sure that they themselves have to comply with the law, not through some other structure. So, but there's a real big spectrum of where things, you know, where this recommendation we've got can land. It can be as simple as financial planners just have to register with a single disciplinary body and everything else stays the same or it can be all the way to licensees are no longer there and no longer need to do anything and we haven't necessarily landed on any particular position we to this point there are a lot of brilliant licensees they are providing brilliant services and and amazing support and and great compliance and make a massive amount of difference to the consumers that that come and see financial planners under that licensees, and we know there are other licensees who are doing the wrong thing and they they you know force the wrong standards and they force the wrong rules and they encourage people to do the wrong things and then as soon as a regulator comes in they point back down to the planner and go no that guy did it by himself and it's not us don't look at us look at him and he's got to be banned and you got this broad spectrum and i think a lot of you know there's a lot of licensees who are reading the the trends and the way people are moving around there's a lot more people going to self-licensed practices and small practices there are licensees who are now providing services into those self-licensed practices and yeah. you know those are good those are good business models and they they provide a lot of support and help for help for financial planners so we think this is kind of just the natural evolution of where things are going. Anyway, we think this aligns us better with other professions. Um, there's no, there's really, I can't think of another profession out there where you have a one-on-one relationship with a consumer and, but you're regulated through a, a large corporate entity yeah, and it's they're weird. actually responsible for the whole relationship that you it do. Is weird. It's,
0: it's a really hospital weird.
1: doesn't make a doctor, a yeah. law firm doesn't make yeah. a lawyer. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, and a KPMG doesn't make an accountant. Um, yeah. But AMP makes a financial planner. Mm. No, it, it's hundred percent. It's weird. So, so that, that's kind of where this, where we think um, where we think that the role for the individual planner goes in terms of the product authorization, every product has to be or it effectively has to be um, distributed and, and um, disclosure rules and, and consumer protection rules and things have to be implemented by an AFSL. So products have AFSLs attached to them and so all we're saying is we'll keep the products with the AFSLs that's what AFL cells can do advice is something different advice is about a personal relationship with a professional and their client. And let's regulate the the professional um, as a professional, not sure. as a type of product, because that's what we are at the moment. We are regulated as a type of product and we're not a type of product. Yeah. No, we yeah. are no, no, a, no. a professional service. And so from that perspective, I think, you know, there are financial planners who want to own their own businesses and want to own their own, regulation and want to want to do everything themselves and that's currently kind of where the self-licensing fits in and there are others and I must admit when I was a planner I felt really comfortable that I had an employer who paid my wages and 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 provided me with with all the tools and services and support I needed and 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 I could I could do the job of, all I had to concentrate on was was helping my clients and doing yes. a brilliant job for my clients and they took care of everything else and that That was good. I like that. I could help a lot more clients and a lot more people operating that way. That's not for everybody. Not everybody wants that control. And I had a, I had a pretty good licensee at that time. Um, So I think you'll have different models. You will have employee models. Still, you will have models that are more like um, you have a practice and, and there is an organization there that provides support for the practice. You will have individual financial planners who sit in their office and, and buy different bits of services from different suppliers based on what they particularly need for their, for their business. And you'll have a spectrum of all that. And there are some, you know, there are some licensees who are already out there looking at these types of models and going, okay, we've got to pivot our business to to cater to to that because that is the future of, of financial planning. It's, it's already happening. They already see it. They already see it today. And it's, I think, um, and that's kind of where we're going. So in terms of um what the afsls would do would they be providing apl type services um well no a financial planner wouldn't need to be with a licensee to have an apl um and buy a a package of of um products that that they that they can recommend but in saying that there is a lot of protective benefits and there is a lot of benefit to having that sort of thing in place having yeah. somebody there that really understands products and can actually dig down and look in to say you know what this one doesn't smell right
0: yeah no that not only does it it that smell
1: right there's a lot of problems with this yeah yeah, and yeah you yeah. shouldn't recommend it and and for an individual financial planner that can be challenging to have that yes have that knowledge. I hated investments. I hated products when I was a planner. I loved the strategy. I yeah. loved understanding the client. I loved keeping them on track. I hated the product a bit of it. That was yeah. me. Some planners, on the other hand, they absolutely are brilliant at building portfolios and that's fantastic. And for me, I need somebody there to say, this product's good and I'll back it to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This product is really, really bad and you shouldn't go near it. And I go, all right, I'm not going to go near that. And I think yeah. that's where... You know, I, I think there's still a service there that needs to be provided, but I don't think you need to be authorized by a licensee to actually get that service.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, that that was kind of what I was uh, alluding to because you've got your BT opens and IWF has some. And and I, I, I would imagine that if, if people are becoming more and more self-licensed, which is what's already been happening, but if we get to the point where it's only self-licensing, yeah, those those optional services would be awesome, but then having the universe of products to look at would be awesome as well. So then that whole argument of, because realistically the only argument that I can figure out against an aligned or vertically integrated um, uh, advisor at the moment, bec- because of FOFA, right? Technically you're, it's, it's open slider, but they are limited by the APL. So if, if a self-licensed advisor chose to associate themselves with a BT Open or equivalent, um, then, then there would be some level of oversight on uh, investments. But then it was only optional. You didn't have to. Um, I think I think that's all uh, really good. But then the problem comes down to, and this is 2.4 in your document, professional indemnity. Right? Yeah. So professional indemnity is a very interesting thing. And uh, we spoke about it very briefly before we started recording, but... You guys have done a lot with, uh, with, with trying to get professional indemnity uh, as um, benefit. So, so before we go into it, the legislation, the limited liability legislation says that if you're a professional services, then you're limited in how much you can be sued by the government it says okay you actually instead of you being completely open to the market we're going to put a a hard cap on how much you have to pay out of pocket in the event that something goes wrong right in the in the event a mistake occurs so um that's a very interesting thing and i and, and and once a profession has that as doctors do as accountants do as lawyers do once once you have that your professional indemnity bill plummets Let's face it, right? You're not open for millions and millions. You're open for a set figure. Great. Now, you guys did a lot of work. The PIFA have done a lot of work, and they seem to be um, pushing it closer and closer and closer to success. I'm excited from an academic point of view where we're going to have the first professionally recognized advisors in Australia. I find that very, very awesome. Now, my understanding is that has been a real journey um, to do, uh, via, from what I can tell, via the FPA as well. I think there was a bit of work picked up along that way, sort of like shooting comets straight past, getting the gravity of Earth. Um, but these guys are looking to, to get it done, which I'm excited about. But the interesting thing is once that, uh, I guess, once the premise has been set for uh, financial planners in Australia getting the professional status, getting access to this limited liability legislation, reducing the cost of PI cover, there's nothing that says that FPA, AFA, any of the other guys can actually adopt a framework similar because it's already through and have it for X percentage of your members. Right. I, I would imagine that there's like a FBA plus or something like that, where if you if you belong to these set of criteria, then you move across to here and you become professional. Um, you know, like there's nothing that stops you guys from joining that list and that's really attractive, right? To me, that's a really good news story because while all costs are going up across the board and if we do this singular licensing situation, risks then go up across the board um, so that if you can lean into this concept of the government saying you're limited in how much you can be sued by, your professional indemnity insurance plummets, that's a winner winner chicken dinner, so what have you guys done so far with professional indemnity, and then how far away do we are to fPA plus
1: at the moment we're we're really just trying to keep the professional indemnity market going I can understand you i mean it's it's come up in the in the XY forums i've seen but but there's virtually no p i offers left in the country yeah it's brutal so, so i think i think at one stage a couple of years ago there was about six pi insurers you could you could go to and you they kind of came in and went out and moved in and changed offers but there were kind of six of them that were playing around and there was usually you know four or five of them in the market at any one time so we understand that there's one or two uh pi insurers who are still in the market if you've got policies with them they will renew them but they're renewing them with significant increases in premiums yeah. um and that they're, they're putting you almost have to increase the the excesses and and, and get rid of some of the benefits and things that, that sort of sat in there um so it is becoming virtually impossible if you need to get a new PI policy to actually get one in place so a lot of the work we've been doing over the last 12 months is just trying to keep PI insurers in the country wow and ensure that because one of the things with licensing is you can't be authorized to be a financial planner if you don't have a licensee. You can't be a licensee if you don't have a PI policy in place. Right. If we can't get PI policies at the licensee level, then the whole thing just unravels. So we're just trying to kind of hold the show together at the moment. Man. Um, but I think when you look at, I mean, when you look at any profession, PI is a massive issue. It's a massive cost. Um, It's a massive problem. In professions where you are individually licensed, the cost to the individual for PI tends to be lower than what we see in financial planning, where you're licensed through a licensee. And the problem for that is you're only as good as the worst financial planner in your licensee. And the whole the whole cost of PI is is only as, is is it sort of spread across for that worst that worst person. So if you're individually licensed, then you will get a PI policy based on on you individually, not not others. And so generally, what that means is is PI costs are significantly lower for for individuals than than what you get in these kind of group situations. On top of that, you can then get things like um, professional associations negotiating with um, PI groups that if somebody says, here's the legal standard and the regulatory standard I need to comply with, but what I'm going to do is sign up to a code of ethics and I'm going to be monitored and audited and 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 try to adhere to this code of ethics, which sits higher, um, that the PI insurers will go, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then we will we will rate you with a lot less risk than somebody else who doesn't want to do that. And so, again, you get this risk reduction and you get a cheaper policy that, that, that works out the other side of it. So, so again, that, that's kind of the benefit of, of individual licensing. Now, that has to play out and you have to see how it happens and it will take time to get there. But, but PI is getting to be a big problem. Um, we also have this specter of a compensation scheme of last resort coming in and and some of the people listening will have heard of the compensation scheme of last resort, but a lot won't have. But if you think PI costs are bad, just wait till this compensation scheme of last resort comes in.
0: Wait, is this something that advisors are going to have to chip in
1: for? So this is a Royal Commission. This was a recommendation that came out before the Royal Commission, but um, has been wrapped into the Royal Commission implementation. So it's recommendation 7.1 of the... the roadmap for implementing the royal commission but what it is is a compensation scheme of last resort to cover the entire financial services industry yeah right and so the problem is if a financial planner doesn't pay compensation to a consumer then this compensation scheme of last resort which we'll all put in for um will, will pay out to the consumer um if a financial planner doesn't pay compensation to a whole group of clients, then you start to get a bigger bill that plays out. But the problem is with lumping us in with the entire financial services industry is a lot of the time that will work fine. But HIH was a financial product. Yeah. Storm was essentially selling financial products. Um, Trio and Astara and Basis Capital are financial products. And the compensation that would have come out of those if they actually paid them is hundreds of millions of dollars in one hit. And that has to be funded. And so you start to spread that across financial planners and and it becomes a problem. And so the recommendation 2.4 around professional indemnity insurance is actually more about what are the things that need to be put in place to stop getting to a point where you actually need to rely on a compensation scheme of last resort Absolutely. to be put in place anyway. And, and the government did a report in 2012 called the Richard St. John Report um, about what are the measures that need to be put in place. For example, one of the problems we've got at the moment is that if your PI premiums are going up, one of the ways you can reduce them is to increase the deductible. Sure. So you increase the deductible, you get a claim. If it's within the deductible, you pay it yourself. But because that's a lot higher, that's be, those are becoming quite large sums of money that you have to find somewhere out of your business to pay, that, to pay that compensation. Or you don't have it, so you go under. So the PI policy no longer applies. And so you end up with this, this compensation issue that goes into a pool that all of us have to pay for. Right. So you got to fix up. You got to fix up deductibles.
0: Imagine an advisor sitting out there working their tail off to be as good as humanly possible, and then they're somehow responsible for another horrible advisor from twenty years ago that did something really bad. This is, the the exposure to risk is too high.
1: This yeah. Too high. So I mean, from a certain perspective, luckily the government said, "Look, we're not gonna we're not going to go back twenty years." on this thing. But what they have said is that they will go back to the data scapes. Thing, but I, I'm pretty sure it was like the 1st of January, 2019. So any piece of advice that's been provided since the 1st of January, 2019 might've been 30th of June, 2018. There's a lot of dates that begun, but, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but effectively we're on the, we're already on the hook for this compensation scheme of last resort. So a bad piece of advice that's being provided today, consumer makes a complaint in two years time, three years time, planners negotiated this massive deductible for their, their self-license. Suddenly they can't pay the deductible. So they declare bankruptcy and they go under. The claim goes through the compensation scheme of last resort. And now we're covering that that bad piece of advice. So this, this PI thing is about how can we ensure that there is PI? How can we ensure that it operates effectively the way it should? That if, if somebody needs to make a claim against it, if somebody has to pay a deductible, it's that they can pay it. That the, the PI will be there to to um, to to pay out and compensate the the consumer if if need be. How can we sort out the whole compensation um, compensation arrangements to protect consumers? And if we then get to a point that we need a compensation scheme of last resort to mop up that last little bit that's just not quite protected, then fine let's do that but there's a lot of stuff we need to to sort out on the way through so there's this great report called the St John report um, which has some some very sensible recommendations in it and and effectively what we're saying to government is is if you want to move forwards um, with making changes to PI, with compensation schemes of last resort, then let's let's actually get PI right. And we've got a great roadmap to actually do that in place and we're just ignoring it.
0: Wow. Yeah, I had no idea about any of that. That's uh, pretty terrifying, to be honest. It's, and it's another reason why we really got to watch out. If we don't want a parallel profession to spring up next to financial advice, this stuff needs to be considered. Um, And the last one is, and it's it's a very much a good news story, um, but you guys, I'm very proud to say, are uh, leading the charge in terms of getting tax deductibility done. Now, I know this has been something that you guys have been wanting to do for a long time. Um, XY, we've been playing a a little supportive role behind the scenes last few months to try and give it some momentum. But uh, for as much as you can talk about it, It's now there's a pretty clear strategy in place in terms of tackling it rather than having to go all the way to uh down to Canberra and have conversations with people that get pitched to 24 hours a day. There's a there's a there's a better strategy, and um, yeah, like uh, let's wrap it up with this. Now, you know, what's what's your feelings in terms of I don't know, as much as you can say, timelines, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I think um. You know you, you learn you learn things, you learn things through a journey and and we've had tax deductibility advice on on um the radar for a long time in fact i mean we we had a we had um advocated for and were successful in getting Uh, the Labor government of 2007-2008 just after they came in to actually say in a report that they would they would implement tax-deductible advice Um, so we we were we were kind of there we thought we thought we had had victory in place Um, unfortunately the GFC happened and, and the budget's been been in a mess since then and while we thought we were getting nice and close again to um, you know budget surpluses in a position where we might be able to negotiate these things unfortunately we've had had this pandemic and an economic crisis and it's you know it's going to be another decade at least before budgets are balanced right so we'd kind of been hoping to get to this point that the government had said that they would do it at some point they, they would be supportive of it we're now regulated by the TPB so why should we have a different tax deductibility status than what accountants do um and we we would get we've we were kind of getting close with the arguments but but it's just unfortunately the current economic situation it's not going to happen so we we are working with some with some consultants who can who can give their all to this um we're working with some some really good amazing tax experts who understand tax deductibility and and the ato um, and how they make determinations. And and I'm hopeful that over the, you know, the remaining half of the, the rest of 2020, um, we can make some really good progress on trying to get um, uh, advice declared, all advice declared tax deductible by the government. I'm happy to have conversations about it, but we're also working with a regulator, with the ATO and and they need time to get their head around it. And they need time to, to consider the issue, consider what's changed over the last 20 years since, since the original piece of, of advice was, was, was done. And so um, we kind of need a little bit of space and, and working room to, and, and give them some respect and time to, to make decisions themselves. Um, if we're successful, then, then it won't be too long, hopefully before we have tax deductible advice for everybody. If we're not, then that's where um fpa xy uh can work together and we can start to advocate in canberra with politicians in their local communities take our clients um and and come up with a whole strategy for how we how we actually convince politicians that not only should this happen but it must happen sooner rather than later Um, and, and we've got a whole strategy worked out for that. And we've got a lot of advocacy that we're ready to do, but we just need time to work through this, this process that we're working through at the moment. Um, and, and more than happy to give updates over time. But, um, but all I can say is what I can say is we're definitely working on it. We're confident that, that we've, we're mounting the strongest argument we actually can and um, if they say no to it, then they're going to have a pretty good reason why they're saying no. And that's where we start to need to have the law changed. And and I think we've, you know, we've hopefully got the, the members um, between us that we can actually get out there and have that, have good conversations with politicians and make the argument that this is something that's, that absolutely needs to be done. So.
0: Yeah. Um, financial advice has one hidden uh, advantage and that's called, Adrian Paddy knows how to get very, uh, very good times at a bar. So what, what, our, what, our, what the strategy is, from my point of view, is we just let that little, I call him Paddy Bahamas, is when he's had like about six drinks and he, he, he just starts dancing from the hips. We just send him out, catch up with all the ATO guys. I reckon by, the, by 2 a.m., the deal's done.
1: Um... <laughs> Unfortunately, I think the ATO guys are a little bit more like me. And, uh, <laughs> That's we're why I, we send
0: in Patty. Where
1: the, the guys sitting in the dark corner going, God, I hope they don't look at us. We
0: don't want to. we <laughs> are not really right.
1: doing that up. You oh,
0: <laughs> can't say no to that <laughs> smile. That's uh, all. Okay. Oh, he's a lover. No, I get
1: he gets away with a lot that uh, he does. He there's, does. there's a lot of things that he gets out of us that uh, we're going <laughs> to, we're not doing that. All right, Adrian, all
0: right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> story of my life. Uh, but, well, thank you for coming on, sharing. Uh, like I said, it's a good news story. I realise as an association, you've got to respond and um, to a lot of things, but getting, yeah. I guess, some thoughts together in one document about the positive stuff that's coming forward about where the future of advice is, um, there's a lot of stuff there that a lot of of advisors can get behind, and um, yeah, it's really awesome to see. So thanks for putting the time aside, and uh, yeah, looking forward to no supporting you guys however we can.
1: Thanks for having me, Clayton, and i I'd, I'd just encourage everyone to actually don't just read the trade press and and the headlines and totally. It, it's it's 18 pages. It's really only 15 pages. It's it's a nice easy read, but it just puts out a a vision for what, what the FPA after we consulted with our members and we spoke to them and we, we tested ideas and, and ran things up and down, down the organization and spitboard things around. It's, it's a, it's just a vision of what we think the future of advice could look like. um, And that we think should look like. And, and to your point, you know, there's, there's the stuff that's no brainer and the stuff that, I don't really think we need to do that. I'm not going to get on board for that, that last 10% of whatever it is, but, yeah. and everybody will be different, but yeah. I think there's stuff in, every, in there that everybody can say, yeah, that makes sense. That, that should be good. And, and I'd encourage everyone to have a, have a read of it. Cause I think it just, we think most of this stuff is a no brainer. And if you can kind of know where things are going, then you can kind of know where we need to get to from today to, to, to what it might look like in the future. And it'll, you know, it won't be as much of a shock. When we get there, so thank you for having me on, and and thanks XY people for listening. And uh, reach out if there's anything um, you need. Oh, you can find me uh, playing with Lego.
0: Yes.
1: Social media everywhere.
0: <laughs> um, I love it, mate. It's
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> All right, very cool. Well, again, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks. thanks. Cheers.